I'm glad to be on this podcast. Oh, I hope when he becomes like super famous, people will go back and be like, who's that first guest? Where is he now? It'll be like a BuzzFeed article. Yeah, yeah. You can see the headline right now. Like, <laughs> what was that guy thinking when he asked that question to Damien? <laughs> About that, that you know, topic that we'll get into. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, like, I feel like it's tough because like, we, don't, we don't get as many of these, like, quote-unquote quote firsts, you know, as we get older. So... Oh yeah, that's a good way to think of it. I, I feel like I've been listening to podcasts for a while and it's never even crossed my mind to be on one. Um, beyond like as a, we sometimes at work will do like an educational podcast for like our trainees, but like in the sense of like, they want to know something about me, I've never even thought that I would be on a podcast like this. Right, yeah. That's kind of interesting though. That's so your, your work actually... Um, as you do some educational content that's published on their internet or? Uh, I think it's actually on iTunes, but it's like, it's just like a series that's meant to help them get oriented to the hospital and internal medicine. And uh, so one of my colleagues uh, has been amazing about getting all that organized and published. And um, so I have some experience being recorded, but it was much more like I came to it with a script. So this mm -hmm. is much different. Like the whole conversational aspect is much different. Got it. Got it. Well, excited to have you here, sir. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun hour. And I know we have a, uh, we have you only for a little bit, so I'll try to make the most of it. And um, I guess before we kind of get in, like just a little bit of context for the listeners out there. So Bane and I have kind of known each other for like 16 years at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like, since 2004, uh, when we met freshman year at Washington. Yeah, we were floor mates. Yeah, um, but tell us, tell us what, like, where are you at today, and like, what, what is, what's, what's like, going on, and and where are you today, and like, you know, what are you doing, um, and what are you doing for your job, and kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I live in Durham, North Carolina, with my lovely wife. Uh, we've been married almost, it'll be two years in in September. Steve and I almost share a anniversary. Um, we, uh, I work as an internal medicine hospitalist. Um, my wife just finished her family medicine residency yesterday, actually. She graduated yesterday. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we both are, um, you know, work with an academic institution, have residents, students, um, and love it here in North Carolina. Uh, we'll probably be here for the near future. Maybe longer, we'll see. Okay, and and uh, how did you how did you end up in North Carolina? Like, uh, and, and what city are you in? Yeah, I'm in Durham, North Carolina. I ended up here uh, through the match process, which uh, is when is a fourth year med student. You interview at a, all the residencies that um, you're interested in, or and are interested in you, and then you rank them as to how much you like them and they rank all of their applicants and a computer system matches you up together and then you just get told where you're going for residency um and so i was very fortunate to come up here to durham for my training and then uh was durham would you say like a top five choice or a top oh, durham five? was my number one choice yeah okay yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a good mix for me it was uh my older brother lives in uh, the D.C. area. Uh, my, my folks are in Florida, so it was, it was nice to be like kind of between them. And then a couple of years later, my little brother joined me up here. So that also made it like a good fit. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and so tell us a little bit more like in, in Durham, do you live in um, a specific neighborhood or are you in the city proper or what does Durham look like today? Durham is, uh, is is very quickly growing. The downtown is becoming very crowded. I live kind of uh, a little bit outside, like the city center proper, like maybe ten minutes out. In it's it's suburbia. It's definitely a little suburban in a townhouse that I've had uh, since residency. Um, we are in the process of uh, a house hunt, but it's been a kind of a frustrating process. Process. Uh, Durham is. A very competitive market. Oh, so you guys have you? So you guys have actually been looking for um, the first, I guess, the first home essentially in the area. Yeah, we have been. Um, 
it's uh it's uh we've, we've been like doing it off and on based on like how like none of the needs schedule my wife none of the needs schedule is like if she's on a busy rotation we'll take a break if she's not we'll try to look and we put in over like a year of like off and on looking we put in like four offers and have always been like second place which is a little frustrating um, most recently, like two weeks ago, we again missed out. Got it. Got it. Um, I, as somebody who has gone through the home buying process, like I can only imagine it, it, it's so like, you just don't know what you don't know as a first time home buyer. Yeah. I think that leads to like a lot of like emotional, like, not, I would say roller coasters, but you kind of, you know, you have some good days and you have your, you know, better than usual days, I guess. Or, yeah. Honestly, every time we don't get one, we like tell ourselves like, we're going to just stop looking. We're just, we're just going to quit. And then like within a day or two, one of us is on Zillow again. Like, yeah. what about this house? Should we just go look at this house? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a fever. Like you kind of get like the fever of like hunting and like yeah. neighborhood stuff. So. Yeah. I, I wonder if even when we get the next house, if we're really going to stop looking. Um, I want to tell myself that, you know, we're doing this, we're going to live in our next house for whatever, the next seven to 10 years. And, um yeah but who knows um yeah yeah i mean it's yeah i mean i guess like as you as the neighborhood changes and you know you guys kind of think about what uh what your life looks like that can be totally different in terms of neighborhoods and, and places you want to you know plant roots and, stuff. and, and kind of speaking to that point too so you know in, in terms of like where you came from before Durham, um you know as we mentioned like you and i have known each other for a long time but um you were originally from Tallahassee, Florida. So, can you tell us a little bit more about like how like, did your family plant, plant roots there because of work or how did that kind of yeah? Um, well, so my uh, my parents are um, are immigrants to this country from India. They um, my dad came in uh, 1982. He was a a postdoc uh, in organic chemistry at Florida State which is why we came to Tallahassee. And it's almost a little bit of like just coincidence that we ended up in Tallahassee in the sense that like he just applied and wherever he got in, um, in like, you know, they met up and or they interviewed or whatever. And what, this is what worked out. And then he came to Tallahassee. My mom followed a couple of years later. Um, and then my brothers and I were born like quickly thereafter. <laughs> um, we're all like very close in age. And then um, my dad transitioned from the uh, postdoc position to a job in the state of Florida, like as in the Department of Environmental Protection. And then we just never left. We bought a house when I was five to get in the good school zone, as a lot of Indian parents <laughs> know well. And uh, we just never left. That's still the house my parents live in now. We all... Um, yeah, we're born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida. That's cool. That's cool. And, and, um, I, I think the immigrant experience is so interesting because like on one hand you have, um, two members of family that either have decided to forge a sort of new life in an unknown area or they kind of come because of family, um, mm -hmm. and kind of set that precedent. Was it, um, was your family the first to actually settle in Tallahassee or did you have extended uh, relatives in the area before? No, yeah, I, honestly, as I've learned more about their early years, I'm more and more impressed by what my parents did. They, uh, when they got to Florida, we had um, no immediate family in the United States. Um, they, I mean, they had some like distant relations, but not in Florida. And so they got to Tallahassee. They didn't know anybody. Um, they, uh, you know, got settled into like student housing. Um, and they, we later learned that we were one of the first eight families from all of India to be in Tallahassee. Mm. Um, and, you know, they just quickly created a network and community that, um, you know, has since grown many, many times over, but they, 
like growing up, we always had like friends around. Like, so we, they kind of created the, like their own like extended family there in Tallahassee. And so, um, I just can't even imagine, like you get to this country, you like, it's not like now, right? You can't Skype anyone. You can't, you know, it costs like a dollar a minute to call India. And so you can't really call like and talk to your relatives. You, we would send like written letters back and forth. I remember that vividly writing like a little paragraph in a letter my dad was sending and like, uh, but you know, like fast forward till now where like my mom and her sisters in India talk like every day <laughs> and they video chat every day over WhatsApp. Um, yeah, but back then it must've been so lonely at the beginning. Yeah. Well, you know, having visited, I, um, I'm, I'm definitely, it, it, you know, your parents are very, uh, you know, very generous and very social and I've always found it super personal, personable. So it, it, in some ways it's not, I guess, overly surprising that uh, they were able to support it so, you know, seamlessly and, and so quickly. But, uh, you know, it just, do you have any insight in terms of like the, the like the demographics back then too? Because I'd imagine like, you know, it's a, it's a different environment you're walking into just generally, you know, being in front of the like when there's sort of like no one like you or sort of like looks like you, that's also an interesting part of environment to be part of too, right? And so I, obviously Tallahassee's um, population growth is sort of exploring last decade or two, but you know, as the first, like that's gotta be, that's gotta be a, a really interesting environment to be part of. Yeah, I think it definitely was. I, I've like, so I, over time, like we've met, like just like kind of random people from like my parents passed, uh, that they knew in Tallahassee early on. And it, it's interesting, like they, when there weren't like as many people from India to, to hang out with, they really would bond with anyone there who was kind of living that same experience. So like my mom, um, uh, funny story. So my mom, uh, she makes a uh, baklava, like, and I growing up, I just thought that was like an Indian sweet or Indian dessert because she made it so often and we, you know, would take it to all like these Indian parties. And it wasn't until I was older when I realized it wasn't actually from India where I was like, well, how do you, how do you know how to make that? And then she's like, oh, well, there was this, uh, we had a Turkish neighbor who taught me how to make it when, when we first moved here. And so I think they, they created, um, they just look for themselves in other people and, you know, uh, all immigrants to some extent share the same story. Um, especially those that are coming, um, you know, since they relax immigration rules, um, for people from like Asia, Africa, um, once like, like those people came, they had to be like super well-educated. So they often would meet in university settings or like, um, companies or that kind of thing. And I feel like early on they would bond cause they were, there were so few of them. They were such the minority, but now I'm not sure that really happens cause there's such a higher number of those minorities here. Do you feel like the first, uh, child in mind sort of, you know, bears the, it's sort of on the front, I guess, in terms of like what being a parent and child relationship could be uh, in a new country, or, or yeah. have you talked to India about that? Uh, yeah, before, um, it's interesting. So, like, yeah, we've definitely talked about this a lot. And I remember at your wedding, uh, your sister, you know, mentioned that, like, in her speech. And um, but you, you guys have such a like the the wide age gap that I think you guys just had a much different experience. But between Indu and my younger brother Arvin. There are, like, my brother was born, older brother was born in January of 85, and Arvin was born in October of 87. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we all just kind of had the same-ish experience because there wasn't really time to change up what they were doing between siblings. Sure. Um, I wonder, though, if Arvin would say, say differently, because he, he was there alone um after i went to college uh for like two years um which so like that's not an experience into i ever had we always at least had one other sibling in the house um right right and you know i don't know what this but i i've heard my sources tell me that uh you know 
there is something about being the middle child that's, you know, yeah, <laughs> right? Do you think that's accurate or would you confirm those sources? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I've had like a typical middle child experience. Um, <laughs> well, so what had happened was, is like my older brother, um, when my younger brother was born, my older brother was very attached to my mom. And so my dad, uh, just by default had to like, was spent most of his time with me. And so I feel like, you know, the middle child syndrome or whatever, like it comes up because you feel like that person like is neglected. But I don't know, I've never like necessarily felt that way. Because growing up, I was always just very close with my dad. Like he basically raised me while my mom like was with my older brother and like taking care of like the new baby. And so mm -hmm. I've always been very close with my dad for sure. And then like as I got older, um, my mom is just a very loving person. So I, I think she likes all of us a lot. I, I think there's a difference between liking a child and there being your favorite and then the one you love the most. I think those three things are different. And so if I were to, to say who they love the most, I don't think that's me, um, but if they were, if you were asking who is their favorite and who they like the most, I would wonder if I'm up there because um, I'm, I'm sure my brothers would disagree with this, but because um, like of the three of us, I speak the language the best, and like I stay in touch with things in India a little bit better, and I like can so I can speak to them in their language and like. Um, and I, I don't know, I feel like that has ma always made it so that we have a different connection, but sure. me, I don't know if that's like my, I still believe that my parents like view my older brother as like, you know, he's the oldest one, like they love him the most. And then, you know, my younger brother, well, he's always been like, we've, he's probably all of our favorites and he's like, you know, he's very like um outgoing and he's very um you know he's a very cute baby so i think we all just kind of liked and loved him loved on him a lot and i think that's continued i think he's very come very used to that attention and i think that continues to this day and so i would i still think that they love my older and younger brother more but not i don't feel neglected in the same like sort of way that i that I've read about, like this middle child syndrome, that kind of thing, because we have like our own different type of connection. We played together a lot as kids, um, and then we were often in the same schools too. So um, we we did hang out a lot. We had the same kind of uh, uh, friend group, um, and so we um, be, when we were in Tallahassee, we were together a lot. Um, and then after we, um, uh, after we graduated, like my older brother went to the University of Florida, and then I, you know, obviously you and I went to Wash U, and then Arvin joined us a couple of years later, and Arvin has actually always been a couple of years after me, and so I would say we're the three of us. We continued to get close, like we got close in a different way after we graduated. And I think now we're even becoming closer because we are all entering that next stage in our life. Like my older brother, you know, he got married six months before me, um, you know, is now expecting uh, a son. Um, and Arvin just got married as well. I feel like we all like, you know, we were so close in age and we kind of grew up experiencing a lot of things together and now we continue to do that. And I think now we're becoming close because of that, because we're like, you know, checking in on each other, making sure certain things are happening. And, um, yeah, yeah I, it's, it's a new phase and it's, uh, it's exciting. That's great. That, that's so, so great. I feel like, um, I mean, people change obviously as they get older, but they kind of retain their community and yeah, I think the three of us really mellowed out as we got older. I think we were probably like kind of annoying to each other growing up, but that's mostly gotten better. 
um, we still know like what's the quickest way to make the other one mad, but we don't like <laughs> pull that trigger as often. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about, uh, you know, growing up, because I think uh, obviously people change over time, but elementary and middle school and high school, like what take us in the life of Vayner at those stages, like how would you describe uh, those years at, at those three stages? Um, elementary school, I... I think in elementary school, I was always, um, I was very quiet. I actually, that was all like feedback I'd get, a, like my parents would get a lot about me. That was very quiet. I didn't really talk. Um, and then I struggled a little bit early on in elementary school um, because I didn't like do the work. And so I still remember, my mom likes to tell this story where I was in a parent-teacher conference with my second grade teacher and uh, she was telling my parents that she was like considering asking them to hold me back. Um, and uh, it was because I was, I was just refusing to do the work. Like whatever she had assignment-wise, like I just wouldn't do it. And um, I honestly, I'm not even sure why. I don't know if it was boring or what, but I just was like, I don't understand why I have to do this. And um, my mom was like beyond upset, but she was interestingly not that upset with me. She was very upset with this teacher. And um, uh, I guess I must have just started doing the work again because that just didn't come up again. And then, uh, then go like fast forward to like the next year, my, I went to um, the same third grade teacher that my older brother had. And so he like already like he like he liked my older brother a lot. And um, so then I came and so we are like I already liked him because I like saw him around. My brother spoke like so well of him um, and he had a much different style. Like he uh, like didn't believe in homework and like believed in like doing like as little work as possible and having a lot of like free form free play type time. And so, like, I really, like, blossomed then and, like, actually entered the gifted program in the same school where they were thinking about holding me back the year before. Um, wait, wait, so take a peek into that. So this teacher actually helped accelerate you because he was, like, the homework thing, not, like, no way. Yeah, he basically was, like, you don't, like, I'm going to ask you to just do the bare minimum to prove you actually know what's going on here. And then after that, you're, you can do whatever you want. And once I was like, oh, so you're telling me all I have to do is do this one worksheet and you're going to leave me alone? And he's like, yeah, so I would just do that real fast and then go do other stuff and play. And he's okay. kind of like, gosh, you're doing these worksheets so fast. Like, maybe we should check in and see if you would qualify for this gifted program. And I did. Wow. And it was, uh, it was definitely like... I said, that was probably the first time like I actually thought, oh, I'm actually not the dumbest kid in the room. Like... Um, and so that was like definitely like a transition point in my life. So it continued through elementary school and then, um, uh, in the fifth grade, um, they had just started a, uh, international baccalaureate program for the middle school years. And, um, in, in the fifth grade, you could apply for it, and I'm not even sure why, but my dad decided that I should apply for it. Um, so I actually, at this point, I was separated from my older brother because he stayed in our, like, zoned middle school, and then I applied to this other school. But here again, like, I almost didn't go to that school because they um, there was, like, an interview component of it and I guess I like shut down during the interview or something, but like I apparently didn't do very well. This is all like um, secondhand from my fifth grade teacher, but like I um, I had the test scores or whatever, like I like met the objective metrics, but then they, um, apparently what had happened was my fifth grade teacher was in a grocery store with 
um, one of the people who was selecting for this middle school. And the, she asked her, like, oh, how did, how did Vayner do in, like, his a- application and in his interview? And they're like, well, we don't know. Like, he just wouldn't really say anything during the interview. And then she told them that they would be crazy not to take me. And wow. I, I assume that's why I got in. I don't know, because I um, uh, was there. Then I was very fortunate to go to this middle school where, um, where I, uh, as an international baccalaureate thing, we had like a separate like set of classes for all through all through sixth through eighth grade, and uh, we were always with the same kids, um, and so it was. Uh, it was a unique experience. It was definitely like kind of like going to school in a bubble because it would literally be like you would just go to the same like six periods with the same kids over and over again. And so um, there I just remember uh, I was still fairly quiet. Um, and I remember just we worked a lot, uh, but I had a lot of fun um, and I made a lot of good friends in middle school. Uh, and then most of us continued on to the international baccalaureate program in the high school where then I rejoined my older brother because he had started there the year before. Um, and then high school was kind of the same way. I was still always like a little quiet, a little shy. Um, and then, um, but like, you know, did fairly well and then was fortunate enough to come to WashU after. Um, and I feel like WashU is where I really kind of grew a lot. remember the first time we talked I would imagine it must have been during some like icebreaker thing in orientation but I don't I can't say like I can recall that exact moment and yeah. my first like vivid memory uh, of, of hanging out though was when we would stay back for breaks um, yeah I don't know do you remember an earlier time than that I do I do I don't want to pressure you <laughs> because I think it's Time, but, okay. Uh, I remember it was like October, like mid October. Okay. October, and we were, you know, we didn't. I think I think everyone was trying to, you know, adjust to college life. We were on a bus heading to like a, a pumpkin patch because I think we were actually going to go with our RA at the time. RA is interested with Jared and uh, Amber. Yeah. To uh, to pick pumpkins for a Halloween party and uh, Jack Lunch party and. I remember thinking to myself, like I was, I was seated in the back, and I think I was like, I was next to Alex, my uh-huh. roommate, uh, who you know well, and we were talking, and then all of a sudden, like we started, like somebody said something about fantasy football, and <laughs> I think like, I think it was either you or Arjun that was like, "Yo, man, what should I do with this guy, Sean Alexander?" <laughs> and I. You know, I need to get some better defense or something. Like, it just was something like in a minutia of trades or yeah. like, wire pickups. And I was like, hmm, that's a, that's a good question. And then I think we, I, I feel like that was the first time we like actually started going into like a deeper conversation. I do vaguely remember. That. I feel like fantasy football has that way of like really breaking the ice. Like, you know, do you remember when we went to, that like thanksgiving dinner with amber yeah and it was okay i mean it it was a kind of an awkward dinner right like it was at the beginning like we were there with her and i think they were her church friends right um, yeah, yeah yeah and like i didn't really know what to say like none of them went to watch you and so like we didn't have a lot in common um but then we started talking about fantasy football, right? With that one guy at the table. And it felt like the next 45 minutes straight, you, you somebody had walked in, they would have thought we were the best friends in the world. 
because we were just yeah. talking about this guy who's a stranger moments before about fantasy football. So that's yeah. the power of yeah. it. Yeah, I, I do remember that. Uh, I do remember that quite well. That like, you know, we I think I think just being like new to San Francisco, like it was also to your point. Like we were going to an environment that is pretty established by Amber, and like you know, we were kind of just talking. And, like I feel like as us, like people who were like under like nineteen at that time, or under twenty at the time, it was sort of like, you know, how do we fit in? And, like, yeah, and, yeah, like it, it kind of. It kind of just happened. It was like a yeah. really like cranky thing. I don't know. It was uh, one of those things where you look back and you're like, I wonder what we would have, what that would have been like if we didn't have the tents. <laughs> it would have been so painful. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, and, you know. So obviously, we've known each other. We know we knew each other the entire four year cycle. But so you left St. Louis. Uh, you know, you. you you, know, you I think at that time, obviously, you were just taking the money from medicine for, you know, uh, it had been a, a, a fairly, you know, well considered thought for the So, like, talk to us about that decision. Like, were, was that something you kind of knew uh, early on? And, like, how did you make the transition over to uh, Gainesville, where you ended up uh, going to med school? Uh, well, so I came into college thinking pre med. Um, but, and my parents' encouragement was biomedical engineering, um, to kind of have a backup plan in case I didn't like pre-med or it didn't work out or, um, but I quickly realized that I was just not a very good biomedical engineer. Um, and then I, for whatever reason, stuck with it. Um, honestly, one of my biggest regrets was sticking with it, um, because I feel like it just ate up so much of my time that I missed out on some of the other college experience, but... Um, that all being said, like, um, I think pre-med almost became my default because I was like, well, I can't be an engineer. Like this is proven it. I'm like, very, so not good at it. Um, I think that's an understanding. I think you did pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I had, uh, I had good, uh, teammates. Um, but then I, um, you know, I, I did the shadowing things. I started checking all the boxes you're supposed to check to apply for med school. And then I really, I didn't dislike it. I, I liked most of it. I liked the shadowing a lot. I worked in a, a this uh, peds lab and did some research or uh, some shadowing with a pediatrician. And I liked that a lot. Um, and so um, when I applied, I... Um, ended up choosing between uh, like some of the state schools back in Florida and chose Gainesville um, because it was like a little bit closer to home. Um, and uh, my brother had been there, so I was familiar with it. I'd been there many times before. Um, mm -hmm. And the transition to from uh, college to med school um, I actually, I think went very well. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think honestly, I, I, I attribute most of that to, to y'all in college. Cause I feel like I was, uh, you know, I, I told you I was, you know, very shy and, uh, you know, not super outgoing, like kind of all through school, high school. And then I get to college and I, um, you know, I'm, I'm with, with you and Arjun and Ray, like we were always like hanging out and um, I feel like I like really developed into somebody who was like worth talking to <laughs> after four years, like who actually had opinions, who was actually like had something interesting to say, like sometimes. Um, and so I got to... I don't, after Sean Alexander, I was like... But then I got to uh, med school, and I, it was much easier for me to make friends. Which, whereas before it was, it was a little bit harder. And then, um, I honestly, I loved med school. I loved the yeah. social part of med school. I didn't love the like actual school part of it till I got out of the first two basic science years. But um, I like had a lot of good friends. We we had a great time. We hung, we, you know, just by nature of med school, you, we were forced to be together a lot. Um, I still have a lot of good friends that I keep up with from med school. Um, and so I, uh, the transition I thought 
went as well as it could have gone. That's great. That's great. And um, tell us what's so the path after med school is residency, and then you, then you either choose a specialized or right. Here or how how do you what is the process? Yeah. So you. Once you're a fourth year, you've decided what specialty you want to go into. You apply for that specialty. Uh, you do all your interviews. You you find you match at whichever residency you get into, and then in residency, um, you get trained to actually do like the day to day work of being a doctor uh, in that specialty. And so I was in internal medicine, and then um, you can. After those three years in internal medicine, you can then further specialize into, uh, you know, like oncology, cardiology, um, like all of those different types of um, specialties. And then, uh, or you can stay general internal medicine. Um, and I, you know, towards the end of residency, I, uh, I was a little bit burnt out, a little bit. I was a lot burnt out. Um, yeah. You came and visited in Thailand when we were on that away rotation, but honestly, Thailand probably saved me in residency. I very much needed to be away for a couple months. Um, but uh, I, so I like just wasn't in the right headspace to continue training after residency. And so I thought, oh, let me take this job and um, kind of decompress for a little bit. And then I just was very fortunate to to get into a, I stayed in Durham, stayed at a hospital I was familiar with, um, came on with a group that I, it just, get, I'm more and more impressed with every day. Like they, just a great set of colleagues. I have a great boss. Um, and so it's, it's been a real, uh, it's one of those jobs that has like a good work-life balance. I, I feel like I'm able to stay connected with family, friends, and now I'm married, I get to spend a lot of time with my wife. And so um, I quickly became not burnt out and then um, really got to feel like, okay, this is why I went into medicine. I get to, you know, practice at a pace that is sustainable. I uh, have a lot of time with residents and students and can teach. And um, so it's been good. I, I, uh, can't complain about the five years since residency. It's um, been some of the best years of my life. That's fantastic. That's great to hear. I guess just like take us through the day of training the ready. Like, how does the, the things that you're doing on a, on a, <laughs> a normal basis, but it's not really a normal basis anywhere in the world today, right? Yeah. What is, what is the schedule of like? Who do you spend it with? Like, what, what, what were you focusing your energy on before? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of that depends on if I'm working or not. Um, I, I have like a, since I, I work in a hospital, and so I, I do shift work. Uh, and so when I'm on, when I'm on service, I'll, uh, you know, try to be in at work by like 7.15, 7.30, um, you know, I'll get sign out on the patients, uh, and I'll, um, you know, read over stuff, round on them, get some paperwork in, um, you know, follow up on some labs, talk to some other physicians if I need to, and then, um, you know, re-round on my patients, and then I'll try to sign out by like 4.35, and then come home and, um, usually just, chill um the goal is always to go to the gym but that rarely happens on a day that i'm on service um and then if if i'm on and that's if i'm on like my own service if i'm on a teaching service it's a little bit more chill um like i show up around the same time but the residents will present their their plans for the day um which i almost never have to comment on because i have such amazing residents um and then i'll you know, round, I'll just do a little bit of paperwork. I'll kind of come back to my office and chill, um, read over stuff, maybe prepare um, some teaching talk uh, for the residents in the afternoon. I'll check back in with them in the afternoon, go over some teaching points. Um, and then in the middle of that, I'll also see any patients that I need to see. And then 
uh, still check side out around the same time. Um, and that's like when I'm working. And then if I'm uh, off, I, <laughs> in the beginning, I would waste a lot of my days off. Because um, I, I needed to have some sort of structure. But now, like, I, what I've tried to do is I try to keep the same hours to some extent. So I'll still try to wake up around the same time. And I've gotten, like, kind of addicted to uh, an app on my phone that has all the things that I want to do. So, like, yeah. I'll then I'll kind of run through all the things I want to do that day. And... Um, you know, try to get a few things done in the morning, have breakfast, try to get a few more things done. Um, but because it's, there's nothing like that absolutely has to get done. Um, I'll still relax much of the day. So I'll watch a little Phoebe, I'll, um, read a lot of news and stuff on the internet. I read a lot of sports news. Um, mm -hmm. and then mostly just wait for my wife to get back from work. Um, and then we hang out in the afternoon and evening. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, turning the page a little bit, um, one segment of this podcast is movie review. And <laughs> as you and I have been discussing prior to taping, uh, we sort of decided upon this, this format where we actually take a couple minutes and, you know, share uh, the chance to watch a, a, a video or, or sort of a film that's um, available and discuss it. And, uh, you know, we chose a film called A Platform for in Spanish. Well, I'll be clear. So Steve chose Platform. I wanted to review yeah. Bad Boys for Life, but <laughs> I guess we wanted to pick something a little bit more high-minded. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's, that's fair. Fact check. Fact check. Consider the fact check. Um, <laughs> Uh, that is true, and only because I've already seen Bad Boys for Life. I don't know if uh, I hadn't seen it yet. Okay, that's fine. I understand. Okay, okay, all right. Well, noted for future uh, interviewees. Then uh, we should probably decide if that's something we watch before or not. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the platform uh, is a 2019 Spanish science fiction horror film uh, directed by Galder Gaztelurutia. Um, the premise is that it's set in a large power style, quote unquote, vertical self management center, in which its residents, who are switched every 30 days between its many floors, are fed via a platform which initially fills with food at the top floor, gradually descends to the towers levels, each level getting only the leftovers from the previous one. Um, obviously, lots of symbol symbolism, lots of allegories, potentially uh, the world and, and sort of class structure and all that, but uh come in, like so what what did you think about this film like did you you know did you find it satisfying um you know it currently sits at like i think an 82 percent at uh at rotten tomatoes so critically well built pretty pretty well received but um yeah what, what did you think about this and what did you like about it? i it's not i i like the movie overall um i'm not the one that likes like gore and like like kind of that horror aspect of it. So I, some parts of it were very hard to watch for me. Um, I didn't entirely understand how the people got into it because he, the yeah. main guy went in voluntarily right. and they kept talking about a diploma. And I, I wasn't sure if that's something where like, if I was like, like for like a Spanish viewer, like would I know what that is and would that make more sense why somebody would willingly go through all this? Um, right. But I like the idea about, you know, like there's a lot of food at the top and there's less at the bottom. Uh, I mean, I think that allegory is something that resonates a lot right now, but it's, it was still like, I didn't understand a lot of the specifics and that kind of bothered me the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it it is. Um, well, I think so. Visually, too, when when you see either the trailer or the film uh, itself, you kind of get this sort of barren, industrialized, you know, sense of it being a prison. Which I I, I feel like a lot of people, and maybe the reason it did as well as it did today, I don't want some allegories, is because I think people may be feeling from the isolation, um, especially if they're sharing a room with another person too. Um, but. Definitely a lot of visceral scenes. Definitely a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of gore. Um, 
in small doses, but you know, I, I think it's, it's very visually striking in that way, and you know, it's varying with pace in that way too. I, so it's interesting that you bring up the thing with the, the poem because I think it seemed like this is sort of a dystopian, you know, future where people can opt in to to go into this system, this mm-hmm. self-enter. Um, and on the other side, it also seems like there are people who are incarcerated there. So, yeah, didn't it seem like that? Like, because that one guy, the, his first roommate killed somebody, right, to get in there? Like, he like, right. threw something out a window and yeah, killed a guy, and he was there for a year. Right, um, right. It, and he joked, like, you know, I, I've been to manslaughter, I've been here for a year, I should have two diplomas, because the main character yeah. is only there for six months in the hope of achieving a diploma, or, a, you know, some sort of credit degree. So, um, I thought that was interesting. I, I think that point about the, the diploma is interesting in that the allegory of, like, this sort of, you know, vertical center, uh, starting at the top of my bond, it's kind of like, I don't know, it, it was interesting to think about, like, why would somebody enter that? What are the motivations of that? Like, if I'm, if I'm, I, I think this center is, like, the vessel in which I am going to improve my life, like, am I willing to endure that? And it kind of made me think about, like, yeah, kind of, maybe a little bit what we were talking about with immigrants, like, if you're an immigrant, are you willing to endure a, a capitalist system and going into the unknown for maybe, you know, a, a very, very long time where you're going through the ups and downs of this, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, not so much, so. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely is like it speaks to like trickle down economics and all that kind of thing. And um, but there was that other lady that also voluntarily was in it, right? Right. And I, I didn't understand the girl, the one that traveled on the platform. Did you understand that part? You know, I really didn't. I I was sort of. I, I thought she was more of a. Um, uh, I thought she was more of like. Uh, she basically moved the plot forward, you know, and, 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 and like she was there kind of expo- for exposition to like move the idea of like a lost child forward. Yeah, but good. To, but she she so. said she kept talking about the child, right? That like she was traveling down the platform to find that child. But then, um, then there then one of her, his roommates said that there was no ch- that she didn't have a child. So then she right. just happened to know there was a child somewhere in the tower. It's unclear. It's unclear. I, I did not fully understand that. I, I think that's a great question. I I took it as like it, it was it, it was almost like this sort of dreamlike um, interpretation of what was happening because like I think clearly at the end like the protagonist is is going through some sort of mental Oh yeah, you know, yeah. I mean he's talking to a dead guy at the end. But then like yeah. there's the child, right, that he finds at the end. Yeah. yeah. How did that child survive? That's no. the question. So that that's what the mental. I'm like, is the mental was him finding that actually his mental breakdown completely? Uh, him, you know, achieve what he did, or was it true that this is the reset that the system needs to you know disperse food in a more equal way? I don't know. It, it's an interesting question. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I I could see it either way. I I, mean, I kind of just thought that a child. If it was real or not, the child represented, like, these people kind of rediscovering their humanity in this system, right? right. You could argue that, um, you know, capitalism. There's like a there's a lot of inhumanity to capitalism, right? Um, right. And so, like, it the way it's set up, there's going to be winners, there's going to be losers, and so. Um, until like you as a collective decide that that's just not an acceptable situation and that's that this will continue and perpetuate and um so that's a that's a good point though is the child even real I, that makes a lot more sense if it's the child's not real right right and then you know it's it's interesting too that uh i think the director made some very specific choices on um just the context of um main protagonist uh Goring. and so like you know when he enters the system so one, one part of this film that we didn't explain um, is that each individual is allowed to bring in one item so you know uh the main character brings in uh don quixote 
basically thinks he's just going to pass the time. And like actually looking into like what scholars quote Cervantes saying is like, you know, he wrote this book to basically undermine the vanity and sort of emptiness of, of chivalry in the, the Don Quixote you know, epic in that way. And so I thought that was interesting in that like he starts at the end of the film, like Goring is going through this journey um, you know, down the ranks of the platform and he has this high-minded idea of like helping others prosper in that way. But by the end of it, he's, he's just, you know, he's just failed. And not, not, and not for like a time, but just he's, he's come to the end of his life and sort of understood that like um, this, this has like crippled him and like, I don't know. It was interesting to see that kind of contrast too in the context of also like how do you navigate the system that is maybe an allegory for people's perceived idealism of like capitalism and what it can do, but actually like crushing the reality of it. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like it, it, sometimes like you, you, like you watch the news and like there are people who are just like everything's about the market everything's about like um you know we have to be capitalistic we have to be and i I always think it's really interesting when you the people who are saying that um a lot of times in our like the system we've set up we've just created different handouts that are called different things that only feed the top and it's like well if you truly wanted a market in a capitalist society you'd get rid of those things too but you don't really want that. You just want a system that you can set up to your advantage. Um, right. I feel like capitalism gets corrupted a lot that way. Right, right. Well, the New York Times reviewed it, and their headline was, as political allegories go, the platform ranks somewhere between Animal Farm, um, Orwell Classic, and Late Period South Park episode on the <laughs> So, yet, and they go on and say, yet timing and circumstances have rendered its directness, the outright obviousness of its metaphors and messaging, into its greatest strength. So, they seem to think that this was a positive take and a well-crafted story of metaphors and messaging. So, uh, actually, I tend to agree with it. I, I, and I think more so today, now that we are self-isolating and self-social um, you know, distancing. But, um, I don't know, would you recommend this film to others? I would recommend it and be very clear about how like graphic it is. Um, because I I don't I didn't expect that, honestly. I hadn't watched the trailer for it. I had just kind of seen the blurb when it comes across on Netflix and I was like, oh that kind of sounds interesting. And so I, I didn't expect it to be like this much killing and yeah. um, blood, but it was, I think, the yeah. overall message and what the point of it to try to jar you into thinking a little bit more critically about the system we live in. I think it does a good job of that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, there we have it. Movie review platform for El Porto. <laughs> uh, 2019 Spanish science fiction horror film uh, available on Netflix today. Um, so we have a couple minutes left here, and I want to just run a couple of fast things through you and then wrap up maybe with one fun little game we can play about um, an awkward situation. So okay. the rest of these segments uh, involve just some rapid response, uh, less than you know 15-second sound bites, uh, if you can, um, okay. as well as some answer-minute questions that uh, I, I'll tell you, you know, after this taping ends, um, the recipients of whom uh, I perceive. So, Tell me, so we'll start with fans a minute. So I'm going to go through these in no rank order. Okay. Um, and these are all from friends that are within uh, your first degree circle. Um, maybe some friends that you and I share in common, but others that uh, you shared with me that I perhaps didn't know as intimately. So tell me a little bit more about this. So we, we have 14 questions submitted. 14 um, questions? 14, yeah, 14 okay. questions. And you are <laughs> leading by example here. Um, Question one, I'm second to last. What are your thoughts on lying? On lying? On lying. I've never done it in my life. I have no real opinion on it. What are your thoughts on magic? Magic as like like the card game or like magic <laughs> <laughs> Magic the card game I don't think much of. Magic like as a concept like I enjoy watching like movies about. Like Harry Potter, that kind of thing. 
Can you share a few of your thoughts on Magic? Magic the card game? Uh, either or. Either or. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I just, it was never a thing that I got into. I always just thought it was amusing when people were into it. Um, not in a good or bad way, just amusing. Uh, what about the concept of Magic? The concept, I mean, I think it's always nice to, to like imagine a different type of world with different rules. Um, so I, I'm like pro like magic in terms of like sci-fi fantasy, like I read a lot of that. Um, how do you think one attains happiness? I am a big proponent on just spending as much time as possible with uh, loved ones. Um, and so I feel like that's kind of how I've been trying to restructure my life is to maximize that. How many love languages do you speak? That's interesting. I actually speak and receive in all five love languages. Um, it's a gift and a curse. <laughs> how do we fix homelessness? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I think to some extent that you have to start with providing just the housing up front. Um, I think one thing that needs to go away when trying to address any problem like that is you, you have to try to avoid trying to thinking about it in terms of like fair or not fair. And you just have to say it's a problem, we have to address it. But if you try to focus on like who deserves what, then you're always going to fail when it comes to social outreach type stuff. Um, but I think it's a solvable problem if you have the, if you approach it with the right resources and without the intent of trying to discern who deserves it and who doesn't. Hmm. When are you moving to Florida? Oh gosh, I would love to move to Florida. Um, <laughs> it, it's just uh, job wise and. Um, Family-wise, I feel like I have to stay here a little longer, but maybe, maybe after the next, in like the next three to five years, we'd consider it. Uh, what are your thoughts on bird watching? On bird watching, I'm very pro bird watching. I'm I discover that I have a natural talent for it at a young age, um, but it's a, uh, it's very soothing. It started as a as an aside, like. A friend of mine and I, we like both um, kind of accidentally like made a fool of one of our professors when we were in Nicaragua, um, where like he kept talking about how he had been bird watching for like 30 years or something and never seen a toucan, but then there was like literally a toucan like right behind him. <laughs> and so we, ever since then, like right then we like we were like, dude, is it just me or is bird watching like super easy? <laughs> but then we started like sending pictures of birds to each other ever since. Like usually we'll wait till we're in a zoo and take a picture of a bird and be like, yep, bird watching is still super easy. Uh, but I honestly like from that I I have actually just walking around there's a lake by our house, like notice birds a lot more than I feel like is normal. Um, and I do kind of enjoy it. Like what started as a joke. What's the rarest bird you've ever identified in the field? It, I'm assuming it's that toucan because the the before we, we saw it, the guy was like, it's like it's such a rare thing to see like live. You may hear it. Like uh, I haven't seen one in like whatever it was like 30, 25, 30 years, and it was like right there. So I think I hit my peak early when it comes to bird watching. Uh, how do you reconcile the fact that you claim to be an FSU fan with having gone to UF for medical school and residency? And how do you live with yourself? Well, so I didn't go there for for residency. I The way I reconcile it is that UF was, um, as a medical school, was like the better option for me at that time. And it's not like I didn't support other UF sports. I just supported the sports where they didn't play FSU. And I, the way I look at it, it's like Florida State, uh, like one, we grew up with Florida State and like we were fans from like early childhood and Florida State is the reason that we're even in this country because they brought my father here as a postdoc. And so some of that is just, 
you know, respect for that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I sleep pretty well at night. I don't, <laughs> it's never really bothered me. Um, if you had to pick a favorite muscle to work out, which one would it be? A favorite muscle to work out? That's a great question. Um, I mean, it's probably my triceps because I, I like doing push-ups. Um, I wish I had, uh, I wish I liked doing like traps better, but not all of us can be our gym. <laughs> um, I think you touched on these next few questions a little bit in our, our intro, but um, growing up in America as a first generation Indian, tell me about just navigating expectations of American society and of your family and community, just briefly. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of expectations put on you um, as uh, a first-generation Indian American um, in terms of like your education, what career field you go into, um, and I think I was fortunate to be able to do those things with too much of an issue um, and fall into something that still kind of lines up with my other ideals and goals. Um, I would say the other big piece of it that you know used to be a big problem was like the whole expectation about like relationships and marriage and all that kind of thing. But I was very fortunate to to find my wife and um, and now put all that to rest. And last fansman question: um, Speaking of your wife, is it hard to live in Nandini's professional shadow? <laughs> it you know it. I have found that I am so much happier when she wins something or does something well than I ever was if I did something well. Um, I wasn't, she would probably kill me if I told you this, but she has actually won resident of the year again for the third time in a row. Um, and now it's recorded and everyone will hear it. Um, she's just, she's amazing. And uh, I'm very fortunate uh, to have found her. Um, but it's living in her shadow is something that I'm perfectly willing, able, and ready to do. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. All right, just wrapping this up with two more segments. Uh, rapid response. Uh, tell us what comes to your mind first. So, uh, Team Rock or Team Satan? Rock. Easily. Rock. FSU National Championship five times in a row or ending World Hunger for one year? World hunger for one year. Can you edit out that thought? <laughs> uh, favorite cereal. Favorite cereal. Gosh, I haven't eaten cereal in so long. Uh, it's probably uh, cinnamon toast crunch. Cook, dine in, or take out? Take out. Forest or beach? Forest. Wake up early or sleep in late? As of, as, as, since residency ended, I've not been able to sleep in, so I've now been waking up early. Uh, Super Smash character and why? I'm a big Pikachu fan. Um, I like his like agility. Um, I like the fact that you can kind of get in and out of fights real fast. Um, and you can kind of attack from a distance. Uh, Europe or Asia? Asia. What's your favorite book? Oh, wow. Favorite book. Um, I don't know if I even really have a favorite book. I, I read a lot. I like reading. Um, and so I, the last book that I really enjoyed was Sapiens, but um, I wouldn't say it was my favorite. Oh, gosh. I'm not sure, man. Uh, tell us about tell us about a great day you recently had, and what made it great. Uh, a great day that I recently had. Um, well, yesterday uh, was a pretty good day. Um, I um, my Nandini graduated, and so there was like a Zoom graduation ceremony, and uh, we got to see um, you know hear uh, about everyone talking very nicely about her and her close and her classmates and i got to talk to a lot of my family yesterday um and relax um so yesterday was a pretty good day um as covid days go <laughs> and tell us about who you choose for the next podcast guest um from our collection of mutual friends 
I uh, I chose Arjun. Um, uh, the reason I chose Arjun is I I feel like uh, it would be something where we would all like. I feel like we have a lot of questions for Arjun. Arjun is a very interesting guy, and it is our chance to just really get answers to a lot of what our questions are like. Why the camo pants? Why the women's shoes? Like it's just things that I need to know. And I'm very eager to, to hear the answers. All right. Last segment before we let Is there anything else that you want to tell as far as like breaking news or something things that the, the audience you want to share? Uh, breaking news. Well, um, now that you finished residency, she's taking some time off. So we're looking forward to having some, uh, Bit more time together over these next few months. Um, other breaking news: uh, I'm working on a personal finance uh, curriculum that you know, you know potentially could be like a coaching type thing in the future, and so I'm excited about that. Mm. Um, I don't know what else is new. Otherwise, it's just been like work and home stuff. You know how COVID is. Yeah. Isn't that COVID? That's fine. <laughs> uh, well, Bayou, thanks so much for taking the time, man. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure. You're a great dude, even if you are uh, a non-believer in, you know, flying and, and magic. And, and <laughs> um, a great talk with you, and looking forward to doing more of these. I'm, uh, I'll be very curious to see what people's reactions are to this content. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But most of that, I'm not going to be surprised because I think it'll be, uh, yeah, cool. people will love it. So thanks for stopping by and uh forward to doing this again soon. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Okay, you later, man. Later.